I invite you at this time to turn in your pew Bibles to page 1687, where we find our scripture reading this morning, John chapter 21, verses 1 through 22. John chapter 21, verses 1 through 22. Hear now the reading of God's holy, infallible, inspired, and precious word. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed the board and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, bless the preaching of your word. Enlighten us by your spirit. 
May we find in this, Lord, how beautiful and how glorious Jesus Christ is. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Uh, a couple weeks ago on Good Friday, a very popular country artist, Morgan Wallen, released a song called Don't Think Jesus. Now, this is an interesting song to Chris and I because back in the day when we were living in Tennessee, we actually knew Morgan. Um, first time I met Morgan, he was playing worship music uh, on the stage of a church, a Baptist church down there. And uh, he became good friends with an, an, another friend of ours. And they used to do uh, rap music shows together. And Morgan sang on a lot of the, the choruses. And so at that time, he was already a very... Uh, Musically inclined fellow, very good uh, musician and singer, um, but we didn't know that his journey was going to take him to stardom in the country music world, and uh, we always thought it was kind of interesting to then see this guy that we knew as just some sort of uh, country kid that used to sing rap songs with our friend, uh, you know, plastered all over the billboards and on and mainstream, and uh, singing songs about drinking and going to bars and getting girls, because that's not the Morgan that we knew. And so this song came out, Don't Think Jesus, and it was interesting to me because the song that he wrote kind of went back to his roots, back to the sort of Morgan that we knew back when we hung out with him and went to churches and did performances and stuff like that. Uh, The first verse, this is what he says, basically giving his uh, self-testimony. A boy gets a guitar and starts writing songs about whiskey and women and getting too stoned. He got all all three at the first show he played. Hometown said, I don't think Jesus done it that way. Boy moves to city, lives fast and goes hard. Starts chasing the devil through honky-tonk bars. Ignoring the voices in his head that say, I don't think Jesus done it this way. And this is the chorus of the song. He says this. If I was him, meaning Jesus, I'd say, to hell with you. Ain't no help in you. Find someone else to give heaven to. I'm telling you. I'd shame me. I'd blame me. I'd make me pay for my mistakes. That's what he's saying. If I were Jesus, that's what I'd do with me because I've been such a a horrible person. But then he ends the chorus like this. Oh, but I don't think Jesus does it that way. In our passage this morning, we find Peter on the other side of his greatest regret and his greatest failure. We find Peter in the midst of still figuring out who he is. Is he the fisherman or is he the disciple and apostle of Jesus? What is he going to do in this moment facing his regrets? And maybe Peter is thinking just like Morgan Wallen. That he doesn't deserve what Jesus has given him. Maybe he's thinking, Jesus, if he sees Jesus again, Jesus would say, to hell with you. Ain't no help in you. Give someone else heaven. But what we find, rather, is a Jesus that meets Peter at his worst and restores to him the joy of his salvation. And maybe our circumstances aren't the same as Peter's. Um, Not all of us are going to be apostles of Jesus Christ, eyewitnesses of the risen Lord. Not all of us are going to be one of the the foundational 
people in the early church that begins the Church of Jesus Christ. Not, one, not all of us are going to write two letters that end up in the New Testament. But a lot of us could be in a similar situation to Peter. And that is, we think that we are too sinful for Jesus. We're too messed up for Jesus. And we can't fathom a church or a savior or a gospel that is good enough for us. And I hope that if that is you this morning, that Jesus would meet you at your worst and restore to you the joy of his salvation. So we're going to look at a couple points this morning as we examine this narrative, this final chapter in John's gospel, um, this moment of reinstating of Peter, right? And the first point that I want to draw out is that Jesus knows the real Peter. Jesus knows the real Peter. So here we have this moment that might seem strange to us, but if we look at the rest of the gospels, we'll know that what Jesus is doing here is he's replaying the highlights and the lowlights of the disciples' journey with him, and particularly Peter's journey. So, Jesus comes. They're out in the water, fishing, right? And Jesus says, do you have any fish? Put your net to the other side. This, to them, would have drawn to their minds the moment in which Jesus called them to be his disciples away from the boats, right? This is a highlight moment. Jesus is reminding them of the day that they became different men. They became fishers of men rather than fishers of fish. That's a highlight in their lives. That's a highlight in Peter's life. It's the moment in which he came face to face with Jesus and knew that Jesus was a different kind of man. He didn't know yet who Jesus was, but he made a decision to leave the boats and to follow him. And then, what do we have here, this moment? There's fish, right? Fish and bread. That would have reminded them once again of that moment, that great moment when Jesus revealed an aspect of who he was, the glory of who he was when that little boy came up with his lunchbox and he said, I've got fish, I've got some bread, what are you going to do with this? And Jesus blessed it and he broke it and he spread it out and 5,000 men, which means probably like 20,000 people were fed with this meal. So much so that Peter and the rest of the disciples went around and they, they gathered up the leftovers in baskets and they're thinking to themselves, this is Jesus, this is who we follow, this is our teacher, our rabbi. Wow, that's a high Highlight, right? It's one of those high moments. But the other thing you might notice is that when they came to shore and the disciples approached Jesus, they saw a fire of burning coals. A fire with burning coals. The only other time in John's gospel where charcoal fire is mentioned is when Peter came into the courthouse, the area outside the high priest's house, and gathered with the servants around a charcoal fire before he heard the rooster crow. That's a low light, isn't it? 
Peter comes up to that charcoal fire. He said, you can smell charcoal fire, can't you? You know exactly what that smells like. And they say that your, your sense of smell is so much connected to your memory that if you smell a certain smell, you'll, you'll associate that with a moment. You'll associate that with a feeling. And here, Jesus is inviting Peter to a fire that's going to remind him not just of the highlights of his times with Jesus, but also the very lowest time of his times with Jesus, the time in which he betrayed his dear friend. Jesus knows the real Peter. And Jesus knows the real you. See, we think we can hide. We think that we cannot reveal our true heart, who we really are. And here in this moment, as Jesus is calling Peter into his inner circle again, he wants Peter to know, Peter, you can't hide from me. I know you. I know you. Look at another aspect of Peter's needing to learn this lesson, that Jesus knows the real Peter. In the Gospels, we find that Jesus gives Peter that nickname. You will be called Peter. You will be called Peter. And for the rest of the Gospel, that's what we find. His name is Peter. His name is Peter. We don't see in the, the New Testament the letters of First and Second Simon. We see the letters of First and Second Peter. But what we often forget is that that was a nickname given to him by Jesus. That was a, a name of affection given to him by Jesus. And, and many of us probably have these kinds of names, right? Babe, babe, uh, honey, darling, whatever your, your, your name might be, right? Um, that's what you're often most referred to at, at home, right? My wife, she calls me babe. Or, hey, babe, can you get this for me? Or whatever it might be. But when she says Carrie, that gets your attention, right? Listen to what Jesus does in this moment. In verse 15, he says to Simon, Simon, son of John, not Peter. Simon, son of John. Jesus knows the real Peter. He knows who he really is. Who are you? Where are you from? Who are you when you are not trying to be something? Where were you before the Lord called you? Where were you before you, you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Where were you before you got married? Where were you? Who are you deep down, the very true you, the very core of who you are? Who are you when you're not out in public and you've got to put a face on and you've got to act like everything's okay and you've got you to play it? Who are you? You see, before I was Pastor Carrie, I was Carrie, son of Ray. Just a kid from Crawfordsville, Indiana, who had no idea that he was going to take this broken mess and have him stand in front of people and talk about Jesus. Jesus knows the real Peter. Jesus knows the real you. But we also see that Jesus keeps caring and providing. 
You see, that's the fear that Morgan Wallen had in the song. Instead of Jesus knows the real me, then he should hate me. He should despise me. He should want nothing to do with me. But that's not what Jesus does. He keeps caring. He keeps providing. What we find here in this moment is when Jesus appears to the disciples again, he has fish already. He doesn't need the fish that the disciples are catching to bring in. He's he's already prepared. The burden is not on Peter. The burden is not what Jesus brings to the table. He's got everything. He says, come all who are weary and need of rest. And I'll put you to work. No, then you will find rest in me. I'm the one who's taking the initiation. I'm the one who's, who's pushing here in this moment. I'm the one that's coming to you. Jesus appears to them. Jesus says... Put your net on the other side. Jesus says, come. Breakfast is ready. Breakfast on the beach. Now, I mean, I don't know about you, but typically I don't think of fish. (laughs) I don't really wake up in the morning and say, I'd like some fish pancakes. Some bacon and fish. Some fish tacos. That's not what I'm thinking. But this is part of their main course, their meal, right? Jesus has breakfast on the beach for them. This is the care, the tenderness of God, the provision of God, that he meets their tiredness. They've been out working all night, their exhaustion, their failure with a hot breakfast. Jesus comes to them, and Jesus says, come, eat. The table is set. When I was a kid, one of the things I loved the most about family meals is that I would just go back in my grandma's room and I would put on the TV and we'd watch TV. All the kids would be back there out of the way and we would just be messing around, jumping on her bed and, and, and playing around like kids. And then all of a sudden we'd hear our parents say, okay, the food is ready. Come and eat. And now I'm an adult. I have to be out there in the mess, in the kitchen, getting things ready, pulling things out of the oven, doing dishes. I mean, I wish I could go back to that, right? But when Jesus comes in this moment, he's saying, that's what it's like when I'm your Savior. I come, and I've got the meal ready for you. And you just come, and you eat. You sit down with me, and you spend time with me. You don't have to bring anything. Just your sins, just your burdens, just your tiredness, your exhaustion, just your worries, your emotions. I've got the rest. Are you tired? Physically, emotionally, are you in the midst of hardship and difficulty right now? And you're thinking, I can't go to Jesus right now. I'm a mess. Well, how about being a fishy, slimy uh, person covered in the nasty waters of the Sea of Galilee, coming up on the beach, getting sand all over you? You think these guys were, were, were cleaned up enough for Jesus? But that's exactly who Jesus invites. Well, sometimes we... We start our day by getting ready. We put on clothes and we put on makeup and we figure out what we're going to wear. We get all dressed up. 
And all of that is, is very exterior things, aren't they? But we do the same thing with our internal life. We look in the mirror and we say, I have to put on today. I got to put on the smile. I got to put on, I got to act like everything's okay. When Jesus in this moment is saying, you don't have to put on for me. He cares. He provides. He welcomes. So come and eat breakfast. Rest in the grace of his presence. Be yourself. Like that song from quite a few years ago. Now I think about that. When I think of songs from the 90s, that's... I'm so old now. Girl, let your hair down. But Jesus, that's what you can do. Another thing that Jesus does is he arranges a full restoration. In this moment, he arranges a full restoration. Verse 15 through 17, we see this encounter with, with Jesus and Peter. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? So here in this moment, we have a public restoration. Peter uh, publicly denied his Savior three times. And so here in the midst, in the, in the front of all the other disciples, he gets a public restoration. Peter sinned in front of everyone, so he's restored in front of everyone. Here in this moment, breakfast is over. Jesus, in the midst of all the other disciples, looks at Simon Peter, and he says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? But he also gets a revelatory restoration. He says, Peter, do you love me more than these? Who are the these that Jesus is talking about? Well, he's referencing the other disciples. He's pointing at the other disciples and saying, Peter, do you love me more than these? And why would Jesus ask that question? Why would he ask that question? Because if you remember the whole situation, everybody would be told from Jesus, look, I'm going to go. I'm going to die. I'm going to be arrested. And you all are going to leave my side. You all are going to scatter. And everybody wouldn't say anything except who? Peter. He'd say, Jesus, I'm never leaving you. I will go with you to death. I will go with you to prison. I will kill for you, Jesus. You will never be able to be parted from me. You have my word. I've got your back. I've got your front. Jesus, I'm with you to the end. So Peter says that, right? And in essence, what Peter is saying is, I love you more than these. How very humble of him. And then see how Peter answers in this moment. He doesn't say, yes, Lord, of course I love you than all the other ones. Didn't I obviously show that to you in my three denials? I mean, of course. Well, he simply answers, you know that I love you. No bragging, no comparing. Jesus is showing here that Peter has been humbled <coughs> by his weaknesses. And not only is it a public restoration, not only is it a revelatory restoration, but it's a complete restoration. Many things have been said about the fact that Jesus here in this encounter, he asks Peter, three questions. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And why is the three numbers significant? 
Peter gives three answers. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Because Jesus asked for every time that Peter denied Jesus. And Peter answers every time in the affirmative for every time that he denied Jesus. This is a restoration. It's complete completion here. Peter denied Jesus three times, but he gets an opportunity here to profess his love three times to Jesus, and Jesus gives him this opportunity. This is what, this is what a love that will not let go. You see, Peter might have thought, Jesus, you know me at my worst, and because of that, you should despise me. You should hate me. You should say, to hell with you. But what does Jesus do? He comes to him and all gentleness and love, he confronts Peter in the midst of his denials. And he says, Peter, do you love me? Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Do you love me? Because in that moment, he gives Peter an opportunity for healing, for restoration. But it's also a commissional restoration. Peter does not only, in that moment, experience the love of Jesus Christ, a love that will not let him go, a love that goes in the midst of Jesus, uh, in P- of Peter's suffering, in the midst of his hardship, in the midst of his shame, in the midst of what he's struggling with, and calls him out of it, but he also gives him a mission. He says, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. See, this is one of the last conversations that Jesus is going to have with Peter. Peter, who is going to be one of the apostles, uh, the foundation of the church. The apostolic teaching in which Peter is going to go and spread out all over the world is going to be what creates our New Testament. And I find it interesting that Jesus in this moment is not giving him a Gospel Coalition article about the 12 ways to uh, plant churches. Um, it's not giving him uh, a, a, an article about uh, the 10 quickest uh, and best cities in the, uh, in the Middle East and the modern world back then uh, to spread the gospel. Um, he's not giving him an explanation about how you should plant in urban areas instead of rural areas. He is confronting Peter and he's saying the most important element to your work as you go forward in the apostolic mission that I've called you to is that you would know my love for you, that you would have a dedication to your love for me. And in the midst of that, that's where you're going to do this commission. That's what you're going to do this job. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. You see, sometimes we overcomplicate the Christian life. Sometimes we make things more difficult than they need to be. And what Jesus is saying here is at the core of your commission, your mission, the calling that Christ has placed upon you is that you would keep your eyes set upon the Christ that loves you and gave his life for you so that your love for him would be renewed and your understanding of his love for you would be fueled. And that is what puts you on mission. And it's not knowing 10 church planting rules for the 2020s or what Tim Keller said recently or what the greatest preacher at the latest conference said. 
It's looking at Jesus who invited you to a breakfast at the beach and imagining that he's asking you the question, do you love me? And knowing in those words and that question, do you love me, he's expressing his love to you so that you can answer back to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. You know I love you. So Jesus knows the real Peter. He knows the real us. Jesus keeps caring and providing. Jesus arranges a full restoration, but Jesus also gives a frightening promise. At the end of this restoration, Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And John gives this explanation. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. It's almost as if Jesus is saying to Peter, remember how you said you, before that you would die for me, that you would follow me to your death? Well, you will. You are going to. Now that you've been transformed now that you've been humbled, now that you know the depth of my love for you and my provision on the cross and my death and my resurrection, you are going to die. And John often, uh, most likely, is recording this gospel at a time when he already knew that Peter was dead. History tells us that Peter was crucified upside down because he did not want to be murdered, killed, executed in the same way that his Savior was. There's no certainty that those details are 100% correct, but what we do know is that Peter died a martyr's death. He kept his promise to the end. Jesus said, do you love me? And Peter said, you know that I love you. And all of Peter's life was dedicated to the feeding of the sheep, the feeding of the lambs, the shepherding of God's church. And on that final day, that last breath that he took, Peter gave out his life, knowing that it was worth it to follow Jesus. Now, Christ is not calling us, or maybe not any of us, to martyrdom, but he does call every Christian to pick up their cross and follow him, to die to ourselves every day, to look at the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Christian life that he calls us to and to say to ourselves, is that worth it? Is it worth it to die to myself today for that? Is that a greater picture of life? Is that the good life? So I've got to kill this so-called good life so I can live that life. Even though there might be suffering, even though there might be hardship on this journey that Christ calls me to, even though it's not going to be all rainbows and butterflies and roses and butterfingers and cookies and kisses, even though it's not all going to be that. Is it worth it to follow him? Is it worth it? Peter's life declares, yes, it is. In a moment in which many other people turned away from Jesus because he wouldn't give them free lunch anymore. 
And he said, you have to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And the disciples turned to Jesus and, and said, boy, Jesus, that's kind of harsh. That's a hard teaching, don't you think? All of them left. And only those who were left were, were the disciples. And Jesus turned to them and he says, here's your chance. Here's your way out. And he said, are you going to leave me too? Are you going to walk away? And Peter looked at Jesus and he said, where else, Lord, can we go? You have the words of life. And although Peter's testimony led to the moment in which he betrayed Jesus three times, the end of his life declared the truth of those words that he said. Peter said, even as he was carried away to be killed for proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ, that there was nowhere else to go because only Christ has life. True life. You can't get it anywhere else. Is it worth it to you? I sure hope it is. And finally, this whole encounter teaches one final truth. This reveals Jesus' heart. So what about you? When you hit rock bottom like Morgan Wallen did in his song, when he began to realize the kind of life that he was living, when he began to think about the way Jesus would think about that, when you, when you screw it all up, where do you think Jesus is in that mess? Do you think Jesus is going to come to you and he's going to say, shame on you. You deserve the hardship you've fallen into and I hope you never get out. Is that what Jesus says to us? No. If there's nothing else that you carry away from this, I hope you know this. At your best and at your worst, Jesus is all in. He's not waiting for a moment when you've finally done too much and he says, oh, that's it, that's enough. I've hit my limit. Jesus is not finished with you. He's not finished with me. He had a love, has a love that would not let go of Peter. And that same love he gives to us. Jesus covers our shame, our guilt, even in the midst of daily reminders of what we may have done or the words we might have said or the people we might have hurt. Jesus is there. That shame, that guilt that we feel, it calls Jesus to us. He comes to us in the midst of that and he says, I've got you. I died for that. I paid the price for that. Don't suffer in the midst of that. Let me come to you. Let me offer you rest. Let me offer you joy. Let me offer you salvation. He comes to us in the midst of that to remind us of his propitiatory death, of his sacrifice on the cross. He reminds us of his love, his grace, his forgiveness, his mercy. And once we have felt that enough, once we have felt his embrace enough, that that guilt and that shame melts away, then he calls us forward into mission, into a greater purpose. One that requires commitment, one that requires suffering, one that requires sacrifice, but is filled with him is worth it. Because in the midst of that path of the carrying of our cross, we have the joy 
of our salvation. So Jesus is not going to come to you and say, to hell with you. Ain't no help in you. Find someone else to give heaven to. I'm telling you. Jesus is not going to come to you and shame you and blame you and make you pay for your mistakes. That's not the way he does things. Jesus meets us at our worst and restores to us the joy of our salvation. May you know the joy of your salvation in Jesus Christ. And if you've never believed in Jesus and experienced that joy, my prayer is that you would turn from your sins and trust in him. I promise you will find him to be a perfect savior. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful word of grace. We thank you that you in Jesus Christ love us at our worst and restore to us the joy of your salvation. We thank you that Jesus knows the real us and even though he does, he keeps caring and providing that even when we stumble and even when we fall, he arranges a full restoration for us and calls us on a great and wonderful mission even though that might cost us and we might suffer, we know it's worth it because Jesus has revealed his heart to us, his love for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.